Since the French Revolution in the late 1700s, the people of France have been known for a progressive kind of politics. A politics which uh, opposes traditional authority figures uh, like kings and queens. And instead, and this was kind of a radical idea at the time, uh, the French decided to trust the people to select their government. Theirs was a politics that was based on a suspicion of authority on the one hand and a great love for freedom on the other hand. The French love their freedom. They, they consider themselves an unworried and an unhurried people. They do what they want when they want. They like their work weeks short and their vacations long. They like a government that is always generous with benefits but that never tells them what to do. Until this past week. When the Parliament of France passed a bill to put the entire country under a state of emergency for the next three months. Under this state of emergency, the French police are now able to put people under house arrest with no trial. They can search homes, offices, and computers without a warrant. They can do almost anything they want if they say that a person is a threat to national security. This bill totally changes the relationship between the French and their government. And it would have been unthinkable two weeks ago. But on Thursday, it passed the French parliament 551 to 6. And to me, this vote illustrates a very familiar pattern in human history. When a group of people, like the French after last week's attacks, or Americans after 9-11, when a group of people feel threatened, even the most freedom-loving people will not only tolerate, but they will demand that their leaders act in ways that in peacetime they would never accept. See, the rules change when a situation is life or death. Uh, when it is a life or death situation, people want leaders to be autocratic, aggressive, and authoritarian. Now, this is why militaries operate under these strict chains of command, right? Even during peacetime, a soldier who disobeys an order from a commanding officer, even an order that we might consider trivial, that soldier can be imprisoned for disobeying that order. Because in our world, we believe that when situations are life or death, people need strong, authoritative, and aggressive leadership. Which makes Peter's instructions for leaders in chapter 5 so surprising. See, the church that Peter is writing to is under threat. There are hints that this church has dealt with at least ridicule and insults, probably threats and, and, and violence as well. So to reading between the lines, there are really scary things going on for this church. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if some of these, they're, they're all new Christians, if some of these new Christians are like seriously beginning to ask like whether this faith is even worth it. And that's when Peter tells them that 
In fact, they don't even really know the half of what they're up against. In verse 8, Peter tells the church to be alert and self-controlled. He tells them to resist and stand firm in the face of their true enemy. He makes the point that their true enemy is not the local governor ordering their arrest or the neighbor who's spreading nasty rumors. But Peter says their true enemy, the enemy behind the enemies, is actually much scarier. He says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's got to be one of the most vivid and scary images Peter could have used. Right? This is like the most threatening animal in the ancient world on the hunt looking for a kill. That's our enemy. That's the devil. And for Peter, it's important that this church knows that the threats that they face, they're not merely from mean people sort of threatening their bodies, but the threats that they face are from a spiritual enemy who is also threatening their soul. Which is all another way to say the stakes could not be higher. Now, this is the very definition of life or death. And so it's in this context that Peter gives instructions for leaders. In effect, he is saying, because you live under threat, because you face suffering for your faith, because you are in danger, this is how you should lead. And you know, with what we know about human nature, we would expect Peter to say, because you are under a threat, follow orders from your leaders, do what you're told. And he does urge them in verse 5 to, to be submissive to their elders. But what comes before that is shocking. He gives them an image for how leaders should lead in these desperate times. And he says, shepherd the flock under your care. Shepherd the flock. And, you know, I was thinking about this image of shepherd. And it occurred to me that in the ancient world, of all the jobs which technically involve leadership, shepherd has to be almost certainly the least flattering. Like Peter could have used the image of a commander or a king. He could have referred to the church leaders as governors of a territory or even fathers of a household. It would have been more flattering even to call them owners of a business or maybe farmers of a property. But in the ancient world, of all jobs which required some amount of responsibility, of all jobs that required any sort of leadership at all, the job of shepherd was probably the least respected. In those days, shepherds were typically kids. Kids who smelled bad. They worked outside, they slept outside, they were dirty. They spent all their time with animals. The animals, by the way, almost never actually belonged to the shepherds themselves. Someone else almost always owned the sheep. Most of the time, the shepherd was only a caretaker and not a very well-paid one at that. There was no honor or wealth 
in shepherding. And yet Peter looks at the leaders of this church, people guiding this community through extremely trying times, and he says, be like shepherds. Lowly, dirty, unappreciated shepherds. And if that wasn't you know, humbling enough, Peter gets even more specific. He tells them not to lead for greed. Uh, in other words, don't, don't do this if you're in it for your own benefit. See, the truth is, you don't actually need a lot of power to let power go to your head. Uh, even, even a shepherd could have an ego problem. And Peter says, you're not leaders for yourselves. It's not about you. He says, you're here to serve. You're here to serve. And then he adds, don't lord it over people. Which means, don't rub your authority in someone's face. Don't say, well, you know, I'm the boss. You got to do what I say. Whether you like it or not, I'm in charge. No, Peter says, don't lord it over people. Instead, he says, be an example to the flock. Lead by example. Serve others. That is leadership in the church. And I got to tell you, this is, uh, this is revolutionary advice. Nobody in the ancient Roman world was talking this way. The ideas of leaders serving, functioning as shepherds, this is just about unheard of. And you know, this would, have been, this would have been edgy advice. This would have been like a brand new kind of revolutionary approach to leadership. Even if this advice was for some sort of anonymous middle manager in a meaningless office somewhere. This would have been a new idea. But what makes it even more incredible to me is that these aren't normal circumstances for leadership. Right? We're not just looking for a warm body here. These sheep are under threat. These leaders aren't in charge of some meaningless position. They are leading a group that is actually under assault. People are dying. A group whose very existence is threatened by a world that resents them now and very soon is going to start killing them in large numbers. If ever there were a time for authoritarian, strong leadership clear chains of command, you'd think these folks would need it now. When you live under threat of a roaring lion, it's no time for like experimental leadership. It's time for strength. It's time for a leader who will get it done no matter what. Except Peter says the church is different. The church doesn't need commanding officers. The church needs shepherds. Let's think about how, uh, how our human nature so strongly resists this. I mean, you know, in this church, we don't really deal with much in the way of 
outside persecution. But that doesn't mean we don't think that what we do here sometimes is very important. I mean, uh, most of us have, have things that we feel very strongly about that our church should be doing. We feel like the stakes are, are very high. This is important. And I think we're tempted, especially when we're leaders, we're tempted to slip into an authoritarian way. To just start telling people what they need to do. I mean, I feel this way. Right? I mean, you know how many times I've just wanted to make something mandatory? Right? Um, Bible studies. Love to make that one mandatory. Uh, Anti-racism training, right? I mean, this is good for you. Like, you have to do it. Like, it is, is extremely important. Like, I'm going to just sign you up, right? Or I think about times when, you know, I learn that someone's in need and, like, no one steps up to serve. You don't think I'm, I'm not tempted to stop asking politely and just start giving orders? But see, we're not commanding officers. We're shepherds. We don't lead with orders. We lead by example. And I'll just say it, uh, it's way harder. It's like way harder. I mean, I get the appeal of autocratic leadership. I mean, you know how nice it would be to just tell people what to do? and not get your own hands dirty. <laughs> Most of us live with that fantasy all the time. But for Christian leaders, that's not an option. Now maybe you think, well, Pastor, I mean, that's fine for some things, but there are some issues that are it's just it's too important. The stakes are too high. You just need to tell people what to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I get that. But you got to figure that the church of First Peter felt the same way. Peter, we need aggressive leaders. We need strong leaders who can command respect and just tell us what to do. And you know, in the world, that, that makes some sense. In the military, that makes sense. But Peter says that the church is different. We operate under different assumptions than the world. I think that's partly why Peter also tells the church in verse 5 to clothe themselves with humility. That's another twist. Uh, humility was not a virtue in the first century. Uh, it was considered a sign of weakness. Uh, the world was considered too threatening to let your guard down like that. Uh, real strength is demonstrated through pride, through being unyielding, through not conceding an inch. To, to the ancient Romans, humility was for the weak and the desperate. Listening to others, that's, that's for the pathetic who can't think for themselves. But Peter tells this church, be humble. And there's a part of me that thinks Peter's instructions in chapter 5 are embarrassingly naive. Doesn't he know what the world is like? 
I mean, servant leadership sounds fine in theory, but I mean, sometimes it seems like you get a lot better results when you just start telling people what to do. Same way with humility. I actually, I don't even know if humility sounds good in theory. Uh, Why should I submit to somebody if, if I think they're wrong? Why listen to other people's ideas when you know that yours are better? It all seems like a little touchy-feely. How can Peter seriously expect Christians under threat to put the needs of others ahead of their own? How can Peter seriously expect Christian leaders to be mere shepherds? That's pathetic. I mean, think of this church's context. The world is looking for any excuse to condemn these people. Isn't that exactly the kind of situation in which you need strong leadership to keep everybody in line? You ought to wonder about the wisdom of Peter's words here. Because if our world is really what people say it is, dog eat dog, every man for himself, I mean, if that's the real world, I'd have a hard time standing here seriously recommending to you the virtue of humility or the the practice of servant leadership. I mean, if that's the real world, we do need strong leaders. We need boldness and confidence. We don't need humility. And I think many in the world, when push comes to shove, when the stakes are life or death, would say the same thing. They'd say, I can't concede an inch, or this world will walk all over me. In our world, we assume humility is for the naive and servant leadership is for suckers. But a Christian has different assumptions. Because for a Christian, there is more to this world than the power chased by tyrants. See, we believe that Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We believe that this is his world, and we are his people, and he will not let us fall. And that's the assumption that that guides Peter when he says in our passage, with a straight face to this troubled church. Cast all your anxieties on God. What happens when we're under pressure? We get anxious, right? We tighten up. We close ourselves off. We go into self-preservation mode. We become basically miserable, selfish people. Peter says, are you anxious about something? You have a God who cares. Cast all your anxiety on him. Peter tells these leaders to be servants. He tells this church to be humble. He tells us all to cast our cares on God because Peter believes that the troubles of this life, though very serious, are not forever. He believes that Christ will return, and I believe it too. And if that's true, then our suffering in this present time will not be worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. 
When Peter says in verse 10 that they suffered, they've suffered only a little while, he's, he's not making light of their suffering. He's just pointing them to God's time. Because he believes that Christ is bringing his kingdom. That in the end, the tyrants will be exposed and the proud will fall. The lowly will be raised, the hungry will be fed, the persecuted will be freed. He will lift you up in due time. And to Peter, this is the greatest encouragement anyone could have. It is a hope put beyond the reach of our enemies. That Christ himself is coming. And that those who are beaten down, he will restore. And those who are weak, he will make strong. And those who can hardly stand another minute will be made firm and steadfast. And if you believe that, you can risk being humble. If you believe that, you can live to serve others. You can risk your pride. You can risk your life. Because if you believe that, then you believe there is a power greater than every power in this earth. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would help us in times of trials when we are feeling anxious, when we feel like it's just not practical to be humble or to serve others or to lead by example. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see beyond the rules of this world and to see to your kingdom where your justice always wins and your truth will prevail and the humble will be lifted up. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.